Podcastle, episode 291, for December 17th, 2013. Seasonal Disorder, by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, your host and co-editor, and here at Podcastle, the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer, the parking lot's more crowded, the prices more expensive, the drinks stiffer, the lattes eggnog here, the years, well, they're just going by too fast. I make no bones about it, I love the holidays. I love taking time to see friends or even just reading their cards. I love watching Charlie Brown's Christmas special and drinking eggnog lattes, winter brew, my kids' holiday programs, and a week off work. Mm-hmm. I do hate Christmas shopping, but I love giving. It's become some kind of unofficial tradition here to give to you all a holiday story by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. I'm happy to say that this year we're continuing that tradition. One of the things I love about Heather and Tim's holiday stories is that no two of them are alike, and this one is maybe the most different of any. And I'm sure some of you will be relieved to know it's not actually a Christmas story. This year, it's all about the Christian misappropriation of a pagan holiday, before it was actually misappropriated. Thank you very much, Dr. Hitler Moriarty. I'm talking, of course, about winter solstice. Podcastle is very proud to present Seasonal Disorder by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. This one is definitely a Podcastle original. Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt live in Berkeley, California. They've written a bunch of stories separately and together, including half of the Alphabet Quartet, and writing our previous holiday stories, The Christmas Mummy, The Ghost of Christmas Possible, and Catching the Spirit. Tim has a new serial novel coming out next year that I can't wait to read called Heirs of Grace. It's a five-part serial, and it'll be collected in print after that goes live on Kindle. He calls it his most personal book since Briarpatch, so you know I'm going to check it out. We'll have a link to both of their websites in our post. Our reader this week is Christiana Ellis, a narrator who's no stranger to us at Escape Artists. She's read a ton of stuff for all three of our podcasts, and most recently read a flash fiction piece, The Bear, for us, which took second place in our Podcastle Flash Fiction Contest. Check out our website at christianaellis.com. So break out the rum, pineapple, tiny little umbrellas, and enjoy the story. Seasonal Disorder by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt I opened my freezer to get some ice for my first gimlet of the day and heard a tiny tapping sound coming from one of the ice trays. I thought about slamming the freezer door shut and running for my car in the driveway, tearing away to the southern hemisphere months early. But I still have some residual sense of responsibility, so I stood there and waited. One of the ice cubes cracked, and a tiny bluish-gray hand broke through, grabbing the side of the tray. A creature about the size of a mouse, but more or less human in form, climbed out of the broken ice cube and flopped out to sprawl, panting, on top of a bag of frozen peaches that I used to make blended drinks full of rum. "'My queen,' it said. "'You are needed!' 
I sighed. Why, the world has turned just fine without me lifting a finger for generations now. The Sun King, the creature, you might call it an elf, some people do, or a sprite, rolled over and got to its feet, wobbling. He, he, then the elf burst into tears. They're delicate creatures in their way, my footmen and handmaidens, and they haven't coped that well with unemployment. I hadn't seen one in years, and I thought they'd all turned into snowflakes and icicles ages ago. But, apparently, a few of them were keeping the faith. I picked the little beast up out of the freezer and put it down on the counter, then sat on a bar stool and pulled my light summer robe tighter around me, suddenly feeling a chill. I used to love chills before I retired. Now, I like it warmer. Tell me, I said. After I heard the story, I went into my garage, where I keep the big freezer, the one my ex-girlfriend, the goddess of night, used to call the serial killer special, because you could fit two, maybe three bodies in it, easy. I unloaded the freezer, stacking up tubs of ice cream and cuts of meat and containers of frozen soup and stock and stew and pesto. It would all melt and rot quickly in the Arizona heat, even in the dark and well-insulated garage, but so it goes. The fate of the world matters more than wasting food. I poured ice-cold water into the empty freezer, filling the bottom to a depth of about six inches. I needed ice, but it didn't have to be all that thick. I could have driven to some ice skating rink and gotten the job done faster, but I wanted a little more time to mentally prepare myself. I hadn't seen the Sun King in a long time, and I wasn't all that excited about our reunion. The elf was gone when I got back into the kitchen. Just a little puddle left on the counter. I made myself a double gimlet with too much lime juice and not enough simple syrup and looked out the window at the backyard. A bare and sere expanse of yellowing grass curling up under the relentless downbeating sun. I'm always cold. There's ice water in my veins, and I mean that almost literally. But I like warm places these past few centuries. On the first day of spring every year, I move to my place in Arizona, or sometimes Florida, and I stay until the first day of fall. Then I head to the southern hemisphere, usually Australia. Eternal spring and summer. It's a hell of a good way to live. I haven't seen winter since a year that started with the number 18. Oh well, it was a good run. Way in the back of the closet, I found my tall white leather boots and a white dress and a white cloak lined with white fur and all the other pale raiment that makes me look so washed out and regal and cold. I considered putting on some bright red lipstick just to be defiant, but I wasn't sure who or what I'd be defying, so I opted to go with the traditional look. Once I was dressed, I returned to the garage and opened up the freezer. There was a thin scum of ice on top of the water inside, not enough to support anyone's weight, but that was fine. The whole point was to break on through. I brought a stepladder over beside the freezer and climbed up on top, 
peering down into the depths of the freezer, such as they were. Hmm. No point in putting it off any longer. I jumped in, feet first, and crashed through the ice. Anyone else who had done that would have hit the bottom of the freezer and had the pleasure of standing in ankle-deep cold water. But I'm not anyone else, so when I broke through, I plunged deep into a frozen sea. You know the frozen sea, I mean, even if you don't realize it. It's the one inside you. You've been there on your dreams. You might have floated there before you were born. You will certainly go there again when you die, if only to pass through on your way to someplace else. I floated there in the blue-white depths, closed in a fist of cold pressure, looking up at the vast expanse of sheet ice overhead. Below me, only deep darkness, interrupted by the occasional floating speck of mysterious light in colors your eyes couldn't perceive. There, far away above the ice, I saw the telltale sign of the man who is also the sun, a deep molten glow rippling through the distortion of ice, and I swam toward it, long, slow kicks. I floated up to the frozen sheet of the surface, reached out and touched the ice, willing it to break. Ice always does what I want. The sheet cracked and split, and I climbed out of the hole, something I'm capable of doing with great elegance and style, one of my many useless gifts. I stood on solid ice under a deep black sky, the Sun King blazing a few hundred yards away, staring into space with his hands on his hips. Well, I say hands and hips, but these bodies are only matters of convenience. We wear them partly by choice, partly by imposition of the collective will of humanity. I turned around to look behind me, and God's Jupiter was huge, a vastness of swirling clouds so immense even I felt my equilibrium wobble, and it seemed inevitable that I'd fall toward it, plunge into those infinite storms, victim of unstoppable gravity. Some of the neighboring moons were visible, too, hurling around in orbit with ours. I put my back to the view and trudged across the remarkably smooth ice toward the Sun King. So, I said, this is Europa. I've never been here before. I'd visited Pluto back when it was still a planet, but mostly I stayed on Earth because that's the only place in the solar system where you can get drinks made with rum and pineapples served with tiny umbrellas. The Sun King was staring at the distant disk of his namesake, or his creator, or his brother, or his unsentient twin, depending on how you look at these things, and he spared only a brief glance for me. Hmm, it's lovely, isn't it? So quiet, so peaceful, so pure. Europa is the smallest of the Galilean satellites, but it's still the sixth largest moon in the system. I find it very refreshing. The gravity is only about 13% of Earth's. Huh, I thought I felt lighter. What are you doing here, Sonny? Making plans, he said mildly. What are you doing here? One of my little ice spirits came to visit me this morning, gave me some disturbing news. Ah, I thought you were living as a human these days. 
Surely my behavior is no concern of yours anymore. I've been living among the humans, sure. Not really living as one, since I don't get sick or die or run out of money, so it's not a fair comparison. But I've been taking their pleasures, sure. It's almost the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere, though. It'll be the shortest day there soon, and that's your cue. Shouldn't you be getting ready to do your whole calling back the sun thing? You're telling me to fulfill my responsibilities? You who abandoned yours? That wasn't quite fair. I was the Snow Queen, and he was the Sun King, and between us we divided up the year. On the winter solstice, the longest night, people built bonfires and sang songs to call back the light, and the Sun King was there to usher in six months of lengthening days and warmer nights. On the summer solstice, I took over and began to wind down the year, bringing the long nights in the chill air. When he ruled in the southern hemisphere, I ruled in the north, and vice versa. We hardly ever had to meet, which was good, since we got along as well as fire and ice, or life and death, or light and dark ever do. But I'd retired, because people didn't need to believe in a woman in a white cloak made of snow striding across the world and bringing winter in her wake anymore. People knew about the earth tilting on its axis, you see, about the procession of planets, about the science of the seasons. Of course, I remember a time when the sun revolved around the earth, when the stars were just lights hung against the dome of the sky by things called angels, when the only moon in the universe was earth's moon and an immense rabbit lived inside it. But memory, I'm told, is unreliable. I didn't abandon anything. One year, I just didn't do anything, and winter still came. I retired because I wasn't needed anymore. But you kept showing up for your part, Sonny, because I don't know why. We never talked about it. I fulfilled my duties because they are my duties. Because I am the Sun King, the first god. When the earliest creatures who could imagine something larger than themselves looked to the heavens, I looked back down on them. I am the bringer of life and light and, yes, right, fine. He was always so self-important. He needed to be needed, while I mostly just needed to be left alone. So what are you doing on Europa, where there's no one to worship you? No one. Don't be so sure. You've never been as attuned to life as I am. I stir the first green shoots into waking, while you only fill the mouths of the living with frost and graveyard soil. But close your eyes now and feel. I obliged, letting my consciousness extend beyond myself, into the ice all around me, and... Yes, there were flecks of warmth and motion deep below the frozen surface of Europa in the liquid water clustered around vents of volcanic heat. So there are... What are they? Some kind of worms? So far, yes, he said. Tiny flickers of life below the threshold of consciousness. But they dream in their way. 
He sighed, and for the first time ever in my experience, he seemed tired. I am done with humanity. They no longer worship me. I feel flashes of hate sometimes for those who labor in summer fields beneath me. Annoyance from those driving home in westward traffic blinded by my sunset. But reverence? No. I think it's time to start over. Bring my light to another world, and let earth remain, well, yours, a ball of ice. So your plan is what? Nudge the aquatic ice worms to sentience? Make them in your own image? More or less, yes. Raise them to reverence. They will evolve. It will take time, of course, but what is time to someone like me? Uh huh. I sat down cross legged on the ice. It really was peaceful there. Except, you know, the earth doesn't actually need you to bring the long days back. The seasons happen anyway, Sonny. The planet swoops around the sun, tilting one face of the earth or the other toward the light, and things pretty much take care of themselves. Oh, that, he said. I'm just going to move the sun. I sat with that for a moment. I wondered if he could actually do it. Except, of course he could. He believed he could, which was the only thing that mattered. Ah, um, move it where exactly? Closer to Europa, of course. I may have to play with the exact position, but I'll work it out. I'll put this moon in, uh, what do your beloved scientists call it? The Goldilocks Zone, a position to encourage the life below to thrive. I'm just the personification of a seasonal transition. I don't know anything about astrophysics. And I knew that the Sun King didn't know much either, despite being part astronomical himself. Would moving the Sun close to a gas giant have insanely horrible cosmic consequences he wasn't considering? Probably. But there was a more pressing issue. There's the small matter of seven billion people who'd be left behind on a frozen mud ball. Move the sun and they'll all die, along with every other living thing. Except maybe worms clustering around deep sea vents in Earth's oceans. The Sun King shrugged. Humans had a good run. They diverged from chimpanzees millions of years ago. They've been in their modern anatomical form for what, 200,000 years? How much time do they expect to get? I'm sure their deaths will be swift and painless. You could move things along, bring a hard freeze to the entire planet, kill them where they stand, turn them into ice statues of themselves. Though, I know you don't like actually doing things anymore. And what would my role be in this new world order of yours? Would I be expected to give your worms a winter goddess to believe in? The Sun King shook his head. I never saw the point of winter, really. Why should I go away and come back? Why birth, death, rebirth, round and round? No, we'll have summer forever here. And my children will frolic in the warm waves, always. I stretched out on my back on the ice and looked up at the sky at the other moons, the huge curve of Jupiter. You'd just murder all those people. I gave them life in the first place. They had their chance.
If you destroy all sentient life, we might cease to exist, you know. There's a theory that we only exist because humans believe in us. Or at least used to. Their belief shaped us, I'll admit that. We began to look like people because the influence of human imaginings made those shapes available to us, and we found them pleasing. But humans didn't create us. I was born when the furnace of the sun was first lit. You remember a time before there was life on Earth? No, but we had no concept of memory before that. Rocks and heat and water do not remember, nor did we. I see you've got it all figured out then. I do, he said. You can go away now. I thought about the earth, about people. I liked them mostly. They'd invented resort hotels with pools and swim-up bars, pina coladas, and their tastier cousins, lava flows, sandcastle building competitions. They invented wearing flowers in your hair. Surfing, hammocks hung between palm trees. They invented golden rum, white rum, dark rum, and spiced rum. They invented sunbathing. They invented snorkeling. They invented me. I'd had a nice long vacation, but it was nice to get back to work. Nope, I said. You can appear on Earth. Work some miracles and try to get a sun cult going again. I won't object. It's crass, but that's your business. I'm not letting you kill everyone, though. I don't see how you can stop me. The sun is mine to command. I will move it where I will. And ice is mine, I said. I put my hand on the surface of Europa and flexed my will. I was a bit rusty, but the old moves came back to me. And the frozen thickness of ice began to expand, freezing the liquid water below, pushing down, down, down toward the realm of the warmth and the worms. Stop! He shouted. You'll kill them. Yes, I am, in fact, willing to kill the space worms of Europa. You're willing to kill billions of people. I figure you can relate to my impulse. He flexed his hands, and a blazing corona of light lit up around his head. He was trying to fight me to push out heat to counteract my ice. I laughed in his stupid face. Sonny, you have the power of one star on your side, but I have the void of space on mine, the freezing vacuum, all the emptiness, all the entropy. Life is a candle flame, your highness. Death is everything before the flame is lit and after it goes out. Some day the sun will be extinguished, but the cold will go on and on. You were never stronger than me. How could you be? You've got nothing but life on your side, and yet here I am, fighting for life using the tools of death. Funny old world. His light guttered and sank back to its usual glow. He fell back a step. I, uh, what do you want? Go back to Earth and do your job for the few billion years you have left before the sun goes nova or whatever it's supposed to do. And don't try anything like this again. You can move the sun, sure, but never forget, I can put it out. The birth 
death-rebirth cycle is fine, but you know death always gets the last word. You... you'll give up. I could see him grasping at straws. It's tough, thinking you're the most powerful creature in the world, believing nothing is more powerful than you, and then being forced to confront the power of actual nothing. You'll just go to some beach, get drunk. In a few thousand years, you'll forget you were ever more than just a woman. I think I'll stay here on Europa for a while, actually. Keep your little worms as hostages to your good behavior. It's a bit chilly for my taste, it's true. But God's such a view. Also, this place is way further from the sun, and screw the sun, am I right? The Sun King hunched and lowered his head. I... Yes. I think you mean, yes, my queen. Petty, but I was going into exile on an ice moon. I needed all the joy I could get. Yes, my queen. The Sun King shimmered, turned to pure light, and streamed away into the dark, which swallowed him. I tried to relax stretched out there on the ice, to let my time sense disentangle from the human scale, to let ages and epochs flow around me unnoticed and unmoved. But that got boring, so I amused myself by forming dirty balls of ice and rock and sending them on trajectories to overfly the earth, a series of whizzing comets that should serve over the decades as reminders to Sonny that I'm still here, still keeping an eye on him. There are always ways to have fun, if you look hard enough. And welcome back. Death to all space worms of Europa indeed. Bah humbug them from orbit just to be safe. Hey, look, whatever you're doing this year, whether you're traveling somewhere to be with family, or if you're staying home, whatever you're celebrating, be it Hog's Watch, Life Day, something else, I hope this story made you smile a little bit in the holidays and helped brighten up the darkest time of the year for you. But I hope the rest of your holidays are awesome, too. Here's something that just warms the cockles of my heart. Feedback for Francesca Forrest's The October Witch, read by Steve Anderson. It was the story of a folklore student who stumbles into an urban legend all of his own. There was a lot of interesting discussion on this one. Some were put off by what they considered too obvious an ending, but I think we really need to focus in on Max's comment that read, Josh is an academic, a university student studying, of all things, folklore, and he is all of the cliches that you can think of. Self-confident, knowledgeable, but completely clueless at the same time, Convinced of his own superiority, but easily taken down. He's driving fast on a winding mountain road at night, but he's okay. He's a good driver. After all, he's used to driving in all sorts of conditions. Read. He studied a lot. And yet he crashed his car without even knowing about it, or he was so clueless that his car ran out of gas without his knowing. Read. Academia does not prepare you for real life. He studies folklore, and was probably in that area collecting and or corroborating stories. And yet he's never heard this one, the one that will be his downfall. He has an excellent encyclopedic knowledge of folklore, but 
doesn't know a thing about them. It's like learning to swim from a podcast. The knowledge is there, but not the right kind of knowledge. He knows all the what about folklore, but not the why. He thinks the story of the October Witch, like many folklore stories, is a cautionary tale to scare children. He doesn't know that folklore is there for a reason. That was only just a touch of what Max said, but man, my heart just grew three sizes. I don't think we need any more feedback than that. Thanks, Max. Hey, let us know what you thought of this week's story by visiting forum.escapeartist.net and getting in on the conversation. Just make sure you're not being the sparkly guy who wants to destroy the planet so the mods don't blast you out of existence, okay? If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your money pays our authors and helps keep Podcastle rolling out the best in fantasy fiction week after week, regardless of which gods take a vacation. That's Anna's turn next week. Mine will maybe be sometime next century. We'll see. Thank you so much for your generosity and for keeping all of the Escape Artist cast continuing on for at least one more year. That was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of all of us here at Podcastle, Ann Leckie, LaShawn Wanick, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, and myself, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with a big old epic science fantasy story to help keep you company on that cold holiday drive. Until then, happy holidays. See you next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Angela Carter wrote, Midnight, and the clock strikes. It is Christmas Day, the werewolf's birthday. The door of the solstice still wide enough open to let them all slink through. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great, fun, relaxing holiday. We'll see you back here real soon.